of all the things that the church is supposed to be, a house of prayer is to be one of them. Preacher Rick Warren has said that a prayerless church is a powerless church. If our church is to be a church that is used of God, if we are to be a beacon of hope in a sea of despair, then we must be a people who pray. Great things happen when people pray. Great things will happen in this church when we are a praying church. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that shows us some truths and some principles about what it means to be a praying church. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 23. That's on page 833 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Acts 4 and 23. It says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God, who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the nations rage and why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now look, Lord, on their threats and grant to your service with your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word and by stretching out your hand to heal and that by signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The title of the message this morning is The Praying Church. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we know that, Lord, if we are to be a church that has an impact on our community, that if we are to be a a beacon of hope that, God, we must be a church that prays. Truly, the only way we can access the power to make a difference is through You. God, we know that prayer is Your appointed means of, Lord, not only connecting us to You so that we can have a strong and a deep relationship with You, but, God, so that You can equip us to go out to be lights that shine, to be a beacon that just bears witness to the fact that there is a God and He is great and He is awesome. Father, help us today that we would understand the importance of prayer. Help us today, God, that we would take this message to heart. We would take Your Word to heart, God, and that we as individuals would be a people of prayer. That, Lord, we would make it a priority in our lives. That we would pray passionately. That we would pray privately. And we would be open and willing to pray publicly when we gather together as a church. Father, let Your Holy Spirit move in our hearts today. Uh, Father, let Him confirm Your Word and and speak it deep into our hearts and bring the changes that need to be made. Let Him anoint me, Lord, that I would speak Your words with clarity, that I would speak Your words boldly, and I would speak Your words and Your ways, and Lord, it would be for Your glory. Work through this service today and strengthen those who are weak, encourage those who are discouraged. Lord, draw us ever closer to You, that we, Lord, would love You, that we would serve You, and we would be fully devoted to You. Guide in all things, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, the church of Jesus Christ ran into serious problems very early on after the day of Pentecost. And on one of the days that they ran into these problems, what had happened was Peter had gone to the temple to pray and he had healed a crippled man. When people saw the crippled man leaping and praising God, they gathered around to see what was going on. The apostle Peter took the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, the Savior who had come and the one who had healed this man and enabled him to leap and walk where he had once been lame. And about 5,000 believed and were saved on that day. Now this upset the religious leaders for a variety of reasons, and not the least of which is that Peter made no bones about the responsibility that the religious leaders had in crucifying and murdering Jesus. So the religious leaders had responded by having Peter and John arrested and held them out overnight and then brought them before them. And when they were brought before them, the, the religious leaders said to them, more or less, quit telling people about Jesus. Just stop. Just stop preaching about it right now. And Peter, in his boldness and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he basically said that they had preached about Jesus, they would continue to preach about Jesus, for they could not stop but go on and tell all the things that they had seen and done. Now, the religious leaders were afraid that if they just did something really bad to Peter and John at this point, that the people would riot, for they thought that a great thing had been done by God in healing the man. So they, they warned them some more and they let them go. Peter and John, when they were left, is where we pick up. They gather the church together and they respond to the threats of the local government in the ways that the early church typically responded to the issues that they faced. They prayed. They gathered together. They prayed with one another. They prayed for one another. And in verse 31, it says that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. I, I love that. I remember the first time I read Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Man, I have wanted ever since then to be a part of a prayer service so powerful that when it was over, the place shook because God was so moved by the prayers of the people involved. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit after that, they spoke the word of God with boldness. God worked through them to do signs and wonders and save the lost and heal the sick and just do the sort of things that testified that God is real and God is great. The lesson that I think we learn from this is that it's a praying church that experiences the power of God. But all of these things of speaking the word of God with boldness, the signs and the wonders, the salvations and the healings, all of that happened after the church prayed. But if we want to be a church that experiences the power of God in our lives, in our midst and in our community, then we'll have to be a church that prays. We will have to be a praying church. There's no other way it'll happen. So in this passage, I see four actions that we'll have to take if we want to be a praying church that experiences the power of God. Now, the first is to share one another's burdens. But when Peter and John were first released, they went to their own companions, it says in verse 23, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, at this point, the threats were basically geared just towards the leaders of the church. 
At this point, the religious leaders were not threatening the individual believers who were a part of the church, just those who were the spokesmen, those who, that were well-known and were leading the church. So when Peter and John got together with all of the believers, what they first did was they began to pour out their hearts about what was going on. We have been threatened. We have been told to shut up. We are probably going to be beaten and imprisoned and possibly martyred. And it was that confessing and that sharing of the burden that then in verse 24 led them to pray. And, and I kind of like the wording of verse 24 because there's no official, okay, let's all pray. What it seems is Peter and John began to, to, to share. Here's what they said to us. Here's what they're going to do. Here is probably what's in our future. And when the people heard it. They just sort of all began to pray. They realized that the only hope they had was found in God doing something. And so they heard what was going on and they began to lift up their voice to God. And with one accord, they began to pray to God. And, and primarily their prayer was about the threats focused at Peter and John. Right? They were not just praying for general things. They were praying specifically about the issues that were placed before them. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that this is a, a major focus in all that they did. They shared their burdens and their concerns with one another. They, in fact, you just read through the book of Acts, they just shared everything with one another. They shared their concerns with one another. They shared possessions with one another. They shared meals with one another. They shared lives with one another. The idea of, of one Christian going it alone without the rest of the body, it was unheard of in the book of Acts. Shared one another's burdens. They carried one another's burdens. They prayed for one another. They prayed with one another. Over and over again we see this. If we are to be a church that is a, a church of prayer, a praying church, it's part of what we have to do. We have to share one another's burdens in prayer. Now, one of the questions when we talk about praying with one another, sharing our burdens with others, that people have is, if I'm a Christian, and if I can pray, and God hears me, why do I need to get others to pray with me? Why do I need to get others to pray for me? Well, the answer is that the Bible seems to indicate that there are times when we are delivered not because of our prayers, but because of the prayers of others. Now, let me give you two examples. Right, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11, primarily verses 8 through 11. But you need to read 1 through 11 to get the feel of the whole passage. Now, in this passage, Paul explains to the Corinthians that he had had some serious problems. But they were, their problems were so bad that Paul said that they despaired even of life. I mean, Paul, whatever was going on was so severe that Paul and all his companions, they thought they were going to die because of them. He said, though, that there was a purpose for their problems. That their problems were there to teach them not to rely on themselves, but on God who delivered them and who would continue to deliver them, he said. But then he said something that was amazing. He said that God would continue to deliver, the, deliver them because the Corinthians were praying for them. In the message paraphrase, Paul says that he knew 
that their prayer, the prayers of the Corinthians, were a part of God's rescue operation for them. But Paul understood that God had delivered them, at least in part, simply because the Corinthian believers were praying for them. You know, Paul was a firm believer in having other people pray for him. When you read through his letters, read through there and notice how many times he says, and pray for us also. Pray that I would, the door would be open. Pray that I would have the right words. Pray this or pray that, but pray for us. Another one is in Acts chapter 12. In this passage, Peter is arrested for preaching about Jesus. While he's arrested, the Bible tells us that the church prayed earnestly for him. And as the church prayed earnestly for Peter, there was an angel that came and delivered him out of the prison cell. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Peter at first didn't think it was real. He thought he was dreaming. But the angel came along and slapped him to wake him up and caused the shackles to fall off and the doors to open and let him just kind of led him right on out. And as they got outside, he began to realize this was real, that God had sent an angel to deliver him. So he went to the house of prayer where the people were crying out to God on his behalf. Now, unlike the Second Corinthians passage, that one doesn't explicitly say that God delivered them, delivered Peter because of the prayers of the church. But it does certainly seem to be a feel of the passage. I mean, the idea of the passage does seem to be that the angel came and delivered them because the church was praying fervently for Peter to be delivered. Now, let me ask you a question with this. Who believes that Paul and his companions were not praying for their own deliverance? Does anyone believe that? That as they were struggling and they despaired even of death, that they were just like, well, I guess this is the end. They weren't seeking God on their own. Surely we wouldn't believe that. Do we believe that Peter wasn't praying for his own deliverance? That as Peter was in jail, John had just been murdered at this point, just before that. That was the plan for Peter as well. Do we, do we think that Peter wasn't sitting there as he was chained up saying, Oh God, please deliver me out of this so that I can go and preach the gospel and, and do all of these things. Again, surely none of us would believe that Peter or Paul were not praying for their own deliverance. Yet despite the fact that they surely were praying for their own deliverance, the picture in Scripture is that they weren't delivered because they prayed. They, del- they were delivered because other people prayed. In fact, I would go so far as saying that in both cases, I think you could, you could say that they would not have been delivered had the other people not been praying. I truly believe that one of the reasons Christians sometimes stay in times of despair and enslavement for so long is that we refuse to get others to pray for us. We refuse to cast our burdens upon them and to ask them to pray with us and before us. Now, we may think that it shows weakness because we can't pray on our own and get it done. We may think that it demonstrates a lack of faith, right? Because so much in our culture says that if you just believe it, it's going to happen instantly. But can I say what I think it really is? I mean, it could be that we're afraid it shows a lack of weakness. And it could be that we're afraid it shows a lack of faith. But here's what I think it is 99% of the time. It is just plain old pride. We are too proud 
to go to someone else and say, I'm struggling. I can't do it. Will you pray with me and for me about this issue? Whatever the reason, when we try to be an island to ourselves, more often than not, we sink rather than swim. I, I really believe that when you look at a, someone who, a believer, who is overwhelmed and overcome, most of the time there are deep issues that no one else knows about but them. They are not going to their brothers and their sisters and saying, pray with me, pray for me about this. And whatever it is that is keeping them from sharing the, their burdens with others, it is keeping them living a life of defeat. Several years ago, I was really burdened and kind of discouraged about some things. So I sent an email to my dad, to my brother, asking them to pray for me. And my brother called me to talk to me and get some specifics about the problem for when he prayed. And then he asked me a pointed question. He said, have you asked your church to pray for you about this? And I told him I had not. And it was a Wednesday night and he told me, he said, tonight you ask your church, you tell them all that you've told us, and you ask the church to pray for you. And I kind of hem-hawed around, not too sure I was going to open myself up to those things for all of the reasons that, that I've already mentioned. And my brother said something that you would have to know my brother to know that this is totally him. He said this, if you're too proud to ask your church to pray for you, I don't want to hear you whining about it anymore. Now, my brother can be a jerk at times, but there's a lot of truth in that. If we're too proud to get our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us, just as well suck it up and not whine about it. We're meant to do life together. God does not intend on us to be self-reliant. Think about what the church is referred to in Scripture. A body and a family. Now, which of those descriptions lends itself to me and Jesus have our own thing? Which of those descriptions lends itself to me saying, I don't need you to pray for me. I don't need your help. I don't need you to strengthen me. I don't need you to pray with me and I don't need you to pray for me. I'll just handle it myself. Well, the reality is there is not a single description of the church given in Scripture that lends itself to me and Jesus. We have our own thing and I don't need anyone else. We need one another and we always will. Galatians 6.2 says we are to bear one another's burdens. And there is one who would love for us to try to do it alone. There is one who would love for us to say, I don't need others to pray with me and I don't need others to bear my burdens. And that is Satan. For Satan knows that if he can get us to try to carry the load all by ourselves, that load will eventually beat us down and it will cause us to fall away. It may cause us... Have you ever... And this is a rabbit trail, so it doesn't count against me because it's not in my notes. But one of the things that's interesting about us as humans, fallen, sinful humans. We won't get others to pray with us and pray for us and we won't tell them what's going on. But then because they're not praying with us and praying for us and trying to help us, we get mad at them. Nobody cares about me at that church. Nobody cares what's going on in my life. Nobody's concerned. Well, have you told anybody in church? Well, no, but they should have just known. I guess we're all psychics, Right? That's a part of our sinful, fallen nature as well. And make no mistake, that's Satan as well. 
Satan can keep us from connecting with others. And he can begin to whisper in our ear, they don't care about you. You're not important to them. Look, at you tried to serve and it didn't help. And all of that weighs us down, beats us down, and pushes us away. Satan wants our defeat and he wants our destruction. And one of the ways he'll do that is by keeping us away from other believers, keeping us from sharing our burdens with one another. If we want to be a church that experiences the power of God, we have to be a praying church, and that means we must share one another's burdens. Secondly, we need to focus on God's power. Now, the early church had a big problem. The religious leaders were against them. Now, we don't often think about the power that the religious leaders held. But the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they could pretty much the only thing they couldn't do was just flat out kill someone. They, they did later, but that was about the only thing Rome didn't allow them to have authority over, typically. They, had, they could put them out of the synagogues. They could cause them to be fired from their jobs. They, they had a, a level of authority over the lives of the Jewish people we really don't understand because we don't experience anything like that. So when the religious leaders were turned against you, you had a massive problem. And the religious council that they were speaking to, that was like the Supreme Court of religious, uh, of religious issues. There was, there was no higher court to appeal to. Rome wasn't, would not get involved in local religious matters. So they had no help that they could turn to. They had no one that they could go to that would make them give them their religious rights and their freedoms. And so they had a choice to make. They had a choice to make about whether or not they would focus on the size of their problem or they would focus on the power of their God. And you and I, we kind of face similar situations when troubles come into our life. Because troubles, they do come into our lives. Now, it could be a struggle with sin. It could be some sort of an opposition that we face. It could be a loved one that is deceived by the devil or enslaved into sin. It could be marriage problems. It could be children becoming prodigals. And, and when these issues arise, we have a choice about how we're going to handle it and what we're going to focus on. And we are either going to focus on how big our problem is, or we're going to focus on how great and how powerful our God is. And in a large way, the choice that we make, it will determine whether we are defeated or whether or not we are filled with faith. Now, the, the church, they chose to focus on the power of God when they heard they raised their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. Right. So, God, you're you're awesome. You created everything. Then they began to pray a psalm. And I like that they prayed scripture. Who in the mouth, who by the mouth of your servant, David said, why did the nations rage and why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, Psalm chapter two is one they quoted. And Psalm two is a messianic psalm. It's ultimately about Jesus. And it's a psalm that predicts 
that what's going to happen is when the Christ comes, there's going to be steep opposition to him. The nations of the earth are going to gather together to try to stop him from ruling and reigning. But the point of the psalm isn't that there's great opposition. The point of the psalm is that there is a great God who laughs at the opposition. He, he holds them in derision. And despite the fact that they do all that they can to keep the Christ from reigning, God just sets him on his throne without breaking a sweat. That there is no complication for him at all to do what he wanted to do. The people's rebellion against God, though it was all the world that was gathered together against him. It was a complete waste of time. In verse 27 and 28, we see that they gathered that this is what it was about. And they, they applied that to Jesus. For, for truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Right? There's the nations of the earth. They were gathered against the Son. Verse 28 is an interesting verse that we don't have a lot of time to get into, but notice what he says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, how awesome is God that in their rebellion against God and in their attempt to stop the Christ from ruling and reigning, all they did was fulfill the purposes of God. Right? Because the cross that they sent Jesus to was the reason that he came. In their opposition and in their rebellion and in their sentencing Jesus to death, they simply fulfilled the plans and the purposes of Almighty God. That's how great, that's how powerful our God is. People can fuss and they can fight against the plans and the purposes of God, but ultimately they are wasting their time because God always prevails. Scripture is filled with demonstrations of God's power. His power is demonstrated in creation where He merely spoke and all that is came into being. God's power was demonstrated in, the, in Egypt when He delivered the children of Israel and in the deliverances that He gave. Every plague that He sent was a, really a judgment against one of the gods of Egypt. It was a way for God to say, I'm greater than the God of the Nile that you worship. I'm greater than the God, the frog-headed goddess you worship. I, I'm, I'm greater than the sun that you worship. I'm, I'm greater than all of your gods. There is not one of your gods that can stop me from doing anything that I want to do. It is so important for us as believers that we would understand the greatness and the power of our God. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed that we would have. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you would know the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. And I love the wording. The exceeding greatness of God's power. Not just a little bit of power, not even a lot of power, but the exceeding greatness of God's power. Exceeding greatness, it sort of pictures an overabundance, a cup running over, if you would. It's a power that's greater than we can fully comprehend. We can rationalize. That's why we need the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened that we would understand it. Not only is there this exceeding and abundant power, exceeding greatness of His power, but where is that power? It is, it is toward us. It is 
for us. I mean, we would, I think, probably all agree that God has exceeding great power. We would believe that creation demonstrates the power of God, that the Exodus really happened just the way the Bible said, and God demonstrated His might in those judgments. But do you believe that this exceeding great power of God is toward you? Do you really believe that this exceeding great power of God is for you? Or do you really believe that this exceeding great power of God is available to you? We should. Because that's the point of the prayer. That we would understand. Not just understand that God has exceeding great power. But that that power is available to us in our times of need. That power is available to us to go and speak boldly. To see God do signs and wonders. We have to have an absolute confidence in the power of God. And we have to believe that that power is for us. Because if we don't. We won't pray. I mean, why pray if we don't think God can help? Why pray if we aren't convinced God can do anything about what we're asking Him to do? But we have to trust that there is a God who has exceedingly great power. That that power is for us and it will be used on our behalf in response to our prayers. Because if we don't, again, I don't think that we'll pray. I don't think that we will pray the kind of prayers that will enable us as a church to be a beacon of hope. I don't think we'll pray the kind of prayers that enable us as individuals to reach the lost for Jesus, to make a difference in our community. We have to believe that God is able to do anything that we're asking Him to do. Anything we do as a church, it depends on the power of God. But none of it is about our cleverness or our plans or or any of the things that we can do on our own. None of that will save a soul. None of that will change a life. None of that will make a difference in our community. The only way we see souls saved, the only way we see lives changed, the only way we see backsliders restored, through the power of God, we have to believe that. Focusing on the enormity of our problem fills us with doubt and discouragement. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed about a problem? And when you got up from praying, you were more discouraged than you were when you started praying? You know, if you have, and I have, let me ask you a follow-up question. What did you focus on when you prayed? Was your focus on the fact that God is awesome? And powerful was your focus on the fact that this problem is enormous and scary and you don't know what to do. I've realized in my life that if I get up from praying and I feel more discouraged than I was when I started praying, I really didn't focus on God at all. I just focused on me. I focused on my limitations. I focused on my problem. But I really never focused on the greatness and the power of God. When we focus on God's exceedingly great power that's available to us, it fills us with faith and hope and courage. When we focus on the size of our problem, it fills us with doubt and despair and 
and hopelessness. That's why we have to choose our focus carefully. If we want to be a church that experiences the power of God, we have to be a praying church. And this requires us to be focused on the power of God. So we we share one another's burdens. We focus on God's power. But then thirdly, we pray to experience God's power. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, this is really the first time they begin to mention the problems that they're facing at all. And in their minds, what's happening is simply an overflow of what David talked about in Psalm 2. What's going on is simply the rulers of this age still railing against God and against His anointed Messiah. So they pray, and it's interesting, I think. They don't pray, God, take them away. God, kill them all. God, make our lives easier. Make them like us. God, let there be new religious leaders elected to the council that that agree with our perspective. Instead, their prayer is for God to do something in them and through them and for them. But there's two things they pray. First, that God would give them boldness to speak the word. The threat that the council gave them was shut up. Quit talking about Jesus or we're going to make your life miserable. And their prayer was, make us bold in the face of that threat. God, we know that they can make our lives miserable. They can imprison us. They can flog us. They can do all kinds of bad things. Make us bold. Don't let us be intimidated by them. Don't let what they can do to us keep us from talking about you. They wanted to fulfill the Great Commission. They wanted to preach about Jesus and tell everyone they could turn to Him and be saved from all the things the law of Moses could not save you from. But they knew in the face of the threats that they needed a holy, God-given boldness to do it. And so they prayed that. God, enable us to speak Your Word boldly and clearly. And then secondly, they prayed for God to prove that what they were saying was true. Right? As we speak your word, confirm that this word is truly your word. By stretching out your hand to heal the sick. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, both of these were centered on evangelism. Which had just more or less been outlawed. But what they wanted was they wanted courage to preach the gospel. And then they wanted God to do God things to confirm the gospel. Right. That, that as they preached the gospel, that it wouldn't be with word only, but with power. So as they preached that Jesus had risen from the dead and he had conquered death and sin and Satan and sickness. And then they healed this person. The people would make the connection. Wait, they're preaching about Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, this guy's healed. The message is true. The Jesus is true. Right? It wasn't signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders. It was signs and wonders to confirm that the message was real, that the Jesus was true, and that that was the path to salvation. 
And part of what I noticed in this is they weren't just praying a general prayer, were they? God, let your power be seen. They were praying for God to let his power be seen in them and through them and for them. They are praying that they would experience the power of God. It wasn't God, just let your power be at work in our community. God, let your power be at work in our church. They were praying, God, let your power be at work in me to let me speak through me. Souls could be saved and lives could be changed and people could be healed. They wanted the power of God to be demonstrated in their community, but they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. I like that. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Let me ask you, how how often do you pray personally for God to work powerfully in you and through you and for you? How often do you personally pray to experience the power of God in your life? I think this is something that's missing in many of our lives. We may pray for God's power to be at work in a situation or a community or or our church even. But we don't pray that we would be the channel through which God's power would be seen through which God would work to bring about a resolution to the problem, to bring glory to His name, to to bring salvation and deliverance to those who needed it. And yet we should pray this way. We should pray to be the channel through which God's power flows. We should pray to experience God's power at work in our lives, through our lives, and for our lives. I believe this is what God wants to do. Paul in Ephesians said that, again, the power, the exceeding abundant power of God is able to do beyond anything we could ask or think. Now, typically we stop there, right? God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. Well, that's awesome, right? I can imagine some big things. The picture is the biggest thing I can imagine is nothing to God. He can do exceedingly abundantly beyond that. But we stop there. But the verse doesn't stop there, does it? God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? The power that works out there. The power that works in here. No. The power that works in us. That exceeding abundant power, it's meant to channel through us into the world. God intends for us, you and I, every one of us, to be channels that His power would flow through to make a difference in the world around us. God wants His exceeding abundant power to work in our lives and out of our lives so that souls could be saved, lives could be changed, captives could be set free. God wants to do this not through apostles and not through prophets and not through preachers and missionaries, but through everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the exceeding abundant power of God that can do far beyond anything you can ask or imagine, it is at work in you and for you and should be going through you. That is God's intention for all of our lives. I am becoming more and more convinced 
that as believers in Jesus Christ, we live far below what God not only is willing to give us, but intends, wants to give us. I reject the idea that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are meant to be poor and pitiful people who are just trying to mind our own business and live our own lives. But oh, the mean old world and flesh and the devil keep on attacking us. Where does that mindset come from? It's not in the Bible. In the Bible, the church is the organization that is founded upon Jesus that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. There is nothing in that picture that is poor and pitiful and powerless and minding our own business and all just hoping everyone leaves us alone. We're not minding our own business. We're out to make disciples of all nations. We're out to convert people from other religions. We're out to turn people from atheism to Christianity. We want Muslims to worship Jesus. We want Buddhists to worship Jesus. We want Jehovah's Witness to worship Jesus. We want Mormons to worship Jesus. We want abortionists to go out of business because of Jesus. This is what we want. We are messing with everybody everywhere in the name of Jesus Christ. And the power of God is available to us to do those sort of things. But we have just accepted Well, in the last days, it's going to be hard. People are going to turn away. That's just what's going on now. If they just leave us alone, we'll be okay and we'll mind our own business. God help us to reject that mindset. Let's be... The apostles... Turned the world upside down. The early church turned the world upside down. I think it's in the King James Bible. It refers to them as pestilent fellows. Yeah, I like that. Let's be pestilent people wherever we go. We're stirring up the trouble for Jesus. We are not letting people live in their slavery to sin. We are not letting people live deceived by the devil. We are not letting people get by with saying that they're good moral people and that's enough. No. We're poking and we're prodding and we're bringing Jesus up and we're pointing the way to Him everywhere we go and in all that we do, believing that there is an exceeding abundant power from God that will work in me and through me and for me. To bring change. Now that's not ever going to be popular. Right? It wasn't popular then. And it's not popular now. Now, Billy Graham passed away this week. And if you're on social media, you saw a lot of so many believers make all of these. Billy Graham was great and and wonderful. And those things were, I think, true. But Billy Graham, right? He had no scandals. There's never an indication of Billy Graham having an affair, looking at porn, embezzling money. Nothing. A man of integrity. He he really didn't get involved in politics and endorse politicians. He preached Jesus. But you find a Yahoo News article that talks about Billy Graham and you read what the world has to say about him. He wasn't well liked by them. The world doesn't like Billy Graham. They ain't going to like us. And if the world does like us, We're probably very unlike Jesus because the world didn't like him either. 
seeking to, to experience the power of God in our lives so that we can make a difference in our community like they were. Because that's what they were doing. Not show your power so that we can just say, look at what God did. Show your power to transform our community. Bring, work through us to bring people to Jesus. And it wasn't popular then and it won't be popular now, but it is what is necessary in our lives. So we experience the power of God. We'll know what it means to be more than a conqueror through Christ, despite the troubles and hardships that we face often for our devotion to Jesus. If we want to be a church that experiences God's power, then we had better pray to experience God's power. And then the final one, we ought to expect to experience God's power. Verse 31, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I love that. Verse 32 and 33, we see that they went out and they believed and they preached. And God empowered them to give witness to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them. God did exactly what they prayed. They went out and did exactly what they said they would do if God empowered them. Something I noticed in studying this is they weren't surprised by this. They prayed, grant boldness. They prayed, do heal and do signs and wonders. And then they got up and they went out and expected that that would actually happen. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do signs and wonders and to speak with boldness. That was just exactly what they anticipated would happen because that's what God had promised to do. That's what Jesus said the Spirit would do. That's what they knew they could do through Jesus and through following Him. There was never really a doubt in their minds that this would happen. Fully and they completely expected to experience God's power in their life. Do we have that same sort of expectation in our lives? Do we expect the Holy Spirit would empower us to speak the word boldly? Do we desire the Holy Spirit would empower us to speak the word boldly? Do we expect that God would stretch out His hand and do things, big things, God things, that would demonstrate that the message we're sharing is true, that our God is real and that He is ruling and reigning and active at work in the world today. Do, do we want that? A praying church, a praying people should expect to experience the power of God in their lives. They should anticipate that this will happen in them and through them and for them. Maybe not every moment of every day. Maybe not even every day. But regularly. And particularly as we gather together as a church. When we gather together as a body of believers in the name of Jesus Christ, seeking to lift His name high, for His glory, for our edification, for the evangelization of the lost. If God shows up and does great and mighty things, we ought not be surprised. 
Rather, we ought to be surprised when we gather together in the name of Jesus to lift up His name for His glorification, for our edification, for the evangelization of the lost, and nothing like that happens. I mean, if there, if there isn't any evident power of God in, in our lives and in our churches, what's wrong? What's changed from, from here to here? What, what happened? Has God's arm been shortened? Has His power diminished? Has the Spirit gone away? Is Jesus no longer Lord? I mean, what's, what's wrong? Why is that stuff not happening? We, we should expect... That God would work through us as individuals and us as a church to see souls saved. We should expect that God would work through us as individuals and us as a church to see lives changed. We should expect that God would work through us as individuals and us as a church to set the captives free. We should expect that God will work through us as individuals and through us as a church to see those that are enslaved by sin set free. To see those that are deceived by the devil come to know the truth. I mean, there is an exceedingly abundant, powerful God who has promised to be at work in us and through us and for us. Shouldn't that stuff happen? Shouldn't that be a part of a life where we serve and we follow and we're committed to a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine? We should expect the exceeding abundant power of God to be seen and experienced when we gather together. We should expect the exceeding abundant power of God to be seen in our lives during the week. We have accepted. We have accepted God who is nearly powerless to save, to change, to deliver, to make a difference. And I do not think we're supposed to. I do not think we're supposed to be content the vast majority of our community rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't think we're meant to be content with 75% of the youth in churches turning away from Jesus when they go off to college. I don't think we're meant to accept the fact that other religions thrive while Christianity declines in our communities and in our country. I don't think we're meant to accept that it's all about the words that are spoken instead of the power that is seen. If this book is true, it tells me about a God who can do amazing things. Who has saved terribly lost people. Who has shown the truth to people who were deceived by the devil. Has cast out demons from people that were demonized. Has healed the sick. Has changed communities. And the same book tells me that this God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
This same book tells me that God says things like, I am the Lord, I change not. If He changes not, where's the power? Where's the glory? We should, exceed, we should seek it and we should expect it. But if we want that, we must be a praying church. So the question is, are we a praying church? I hope so. This has been something I've prayed for for our church for, for years. But here's the key. And it's something I've said before. There is no nebulous entity called the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church that prays. There's us. And we pray. If we are a praying church, it is because we as individuals pray. If we are not a praying church, it is because we as individuals are not praying. Our church will never be more than what you and I are as individuals. It will never be more friendly than we are. It will never be more evangelistic than we are. It will never care about the lost more than we do. It will never care about our community more than we do. It will never care about one another more than we do. Whatever we want our church to be, you and I as individuals, we must determine we're going to do everything we can to be that. So if we're not a praying church, it's because we're not a praying people. And I want to confess, as I studied this message, I was deeply convicted that I have not been praying as I should. I have not been praying as often, as fervently, as consistently as I should. So the reality is I'm part of the problem. But I'm not going to stay part of the problem. Do we as individuals, do we share our burdens with one another and pray with one another? Or do we expect to go it alone? And I want to say this about that. And I know we're out of time. Sharing our burdens with one another is more than sharing it with our spouse. That's certainly a part of it. But if I can't share my burdens with anybody but Kelly and she can't share her burdens with anyone but me, we're not really a part of the church. We're just a couple that's here and you guys are out there. So it's not enough that it's me and her. It has to be me and her and you and us. So are we sharing our burdens with one another, praying for one another? As we pray, do we focus more on the size of our problems with the power of God? Do we pray to experience the power of God in our lives and as we gather here as a church? Do we expect that that prayer is going to be answered? That in our lives there will be an exceeding abundant power of God that is greater than we could ask or imagine will happen? Do we expect that when we gather here there will be an exceeding abundant power of God that's more than we could ask or imagine will be seen? If we answered no to these questions, let's change it. I mean, let's just determine to change it. Right now, today, 
The book of Acts paints the picture of a church that was convinced that its God was amazing and awesome and worthy of life and devotion and whatever needed to be done, they would do it for the glory of His name, knowing that He would empower them and strengthen them and help them. Do we believe those sort of things today? We should. Our God is just as awesome. Our God is just as powerful. We serve a God who can do anything. And when our faith in God, it motivates us to pray. Our church as a body will make a difference in our community. Our church as individuals that go out to wherever we go, we will make a difference in our community. But it hinges on being connected with God through prayer, believing in His power and crying out for it day after day until He gives it. Let's stand.